Hampton County, November 1976. The caller's voice was hoarse, distraught with emotion, but the obituary department of the state's largest newspaper was quite accustomed to that. We are sorry for your loss. Please take your time. Name of deceased? Elizabeth Alexander Murdoch. Date of death and location of death. On November 18, 1976, the state newspaper of Columbia published an obituary for Elizabeth Libby Murdoch. The headline read, Civic Church Leader Mrs. Murdoch Dies, and the obit claimed that Murdoch, wife of attorney and assistant solicitor Randolph Murdoch III, died on Wednesday at her home, and that details of the arrangements would be announced by People's Holland Funeral Home. But there was a slight problem. Libby Murdoch was very much alive. In today's episode of the Wicked South podcast, we will uncover some possible secrets in the mysterious Murdoch obituary case and introduce the readers to all of the Murdoch wives and the role they played in the history of this troubled legal dynasty. Hello, friend. Welcome to the Wicked South podcast. I am Matt Harris. Seton Tucker's with me. The voice you heard, of course, is from journalist, historian, author Michael DeWitt Jr. You can read his journalistic work in the USA Network and the book Wicked Hampton. And the book that will be coming out at the end of November is The Fall of the House of Murdoch. Good day, all. Uh, you might know Seton and I from uh, the Impact of Influence podcast. If you haven't checked out that yet, you can sure do that. We want to uh, quickly thank some of our sponsors and hope that you will support them. Michael, name them for us. Our sponsors are Kenny Kenny and Associates, Palmetto Pride Distillery, known for their Palmetto Pride Moonshine, and Rotten Little Bastard Distillery in Beaufort, South Carolina. And we'll be talking more about each one of them. Uh, as we go and uh, check out our Facebook page for, for lots more information. Very good. And of course, uh, that Facebook page is the Wicked South Podcast. And you can find Michael DeWitt on various socials as well. So before we dive deep into the mysterious Murdoch obit, which you mentioned about Libby Murdoch, uh, let's introduce all of the Murdoch wives. So we know that behind every dynasty are wives and mothers who helped build it. Tell me a bit bit about the uh, Murdoch women. Well, this whole idea um, originated, you know, journalists around the world are covering uh, the Murdoch uh, crime saga and, 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 you know, the Murdoch family in general. And everyone was was writing about uh, Alex and then, you know, his father and grandfather as solicitor. And no one was really digging deep into uh, other members of the family. And uh, one thing I've tried to do as a journalist is, you know, if I can't, um, I don't like being being one voice in a million. I try to find my own way. So I did some research and did a, a story. I don't think anyone else has done anything on the Murdoch women throughout the generation. So I did a piece for the USA Today Network on the Murdoch wives and it uh, got hundreds of thousands of reads and um, was very popular. And uh, so throughout the 
generations, um, we've kind of traced them going back all the way to the end of the Civil War. And in my historical research, on the front page, you may have the Murdoch men making making news, you know, winning court cases or or uh, things of that nature, controversies and during the time of Buster. And on the inside, the community pages, the society pages, the Murdoch wives were holding it all together. They were, uh, for the most part, uh, absolutely not controversial. They held bridal showers, tea parties. They were known for being flower judges. And they were really the backbone of the whole Murdoch legal and political dynasty. They kept, you know, in touch with the community. Um, one of the things I read I thought was, by today's standards, kind of different. Family trips to Florida made the society pages? Well, if you read the papers back in the old days, I call them, you know, <laughs> we used to have one in Hampton, in Hampton Guardian called Browsing in Bronson. Uh, but usually if it's anybody of note in society did something, there'd be a little write-up, you know. I've seen articles or little headlines, not a whole article, just a little headline said, Solicitor Murdoch will be vacationing with his family in Edisto this week, so there will be no no court until the <laughs> following week or whatever. Um, so, you know, they kind of kept up with, with the who's who in society by picking up the paper. And uh, and if somebody was getting, just like if you were getting married or things mm-hmm. of that nature, you know, this is all, you know, s- society news. You know what? It's not really been all that long because I remember in the 80s in the Island Packet, that would be the first place we would go. We would read all the society things just to see what was happening amongst the movers and shakers. The Island Packet, for those who don't know, is the, the, the paper from like Hilton Head and the Low Country covers all that stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, it would be so-and-so's grandpa- grandchild as they're visiting for really? the summer. Yeah, that sort of thing. Interesting. Interesting. Hampton and Varnville are the hometowns. And for the people who don't know, Michael, they, are, they're, they're, they butt up against each other. Yeah, they're they're practically the same town. Okay. Just but don't tell don't tell the the mayor of uh, of each town that. But uh, <laughs> you can't tell when Hampton ends and Barnville begins. Uh, but yeah, just little small uh, neighboring communities, and the Murdochs lived for the most part in Barnville or Almeda, and you know the law office was in Hampton, so this was pretty much their their hometown, and it was the county seat. It's where the courthouse was. And the Murdoch women you. weren't these stereotypical stay-at-home trophy wives? Explain that. Well, I interviewed a historian, uh, Sam Cruz. His mother was Betty Ruth Cruz. She was the the real, original uh, Hampton County historian, one of them. And she's passed away, so Sam is uh, pretty much the, the closest thing we have to uh, to that generation. And he knew Buster and uh, his wife, Gladys, and knew the older Murdochs that, that I didn't know. I knew Randolph III and, and Libby, of course, was my teacher in school and um, went to school with the Murdoch boys. But I didn't have the pleasure of knowing those older generations. And, and he did. And uh, his quote that I used in Fall of the House of Murdoch were, um, you know, the Murdoch women were not accessories. They were all they were smart, all four generations. And uh, basically, they were so well connected in the community, and uh, in Libby's case, she was on the school board, um, a teacher in the school. They kept their pulse on the community. Was his was his quote that I use in the book. And as we get into uh, the the women of the Murdochs, the connection they had with society was not always through the Murdochs. They were well established prior to the marriage. Um, Seton, kick us off with Anna Marvin Davis. 
Well, Anna Marvin Davis married Josiah Putnam Murdoch II, who was the father of Randolph Murdoch Sr. And according to her obituary, she claimed to be related to the Confederacy President Jefferson Davis, uh, who she referred to as the great and illustrious statesman. Well, there you go. Now, she was born into a wealthy family at a beautiful estate in Dorchester, which is, I believe, Somerville. Is that right, um, Michael? I think it's in that area. It was written about by a great South Carolina writer of that generation, uh, Gilmore Sims or William Gilmore Sims. Now, she had six boys and one girl. And we talked about this in a previous episode of Actually Impact of Influence, where we interviewed uh, Sarah Holstein Graves, who is a local Hampton person, who's kind of a I guess she she just has a hobby in genealogy. Um, but she pointed out that Anna Marvin Davis and Josiah Putnam Murdoch II were buried in the Magnolia Cemetery in Charleston, which I did some research on the cemetery. It's a very prominent place. And if your family had a plot there, then they're probably, you know, pretty important people. Um, and if you have a chance, if you're visiting Charleston, I would recommend going there. I'm going to next time. It's really, really pretty. They have all these different kind of artistic type uh, gravestones. Is it is it uh, like in downtown Charleston or in the outskirts? I believe it's downtown Charleston. This is an example of what we talked about that the Anna Marvin Davis was a from a wealthy family. So when I mentioned earlier that some the the Murdoch women were connected already for the Murdochs. That's an example of that. Then we move on to whom next, Seton? We move on to Etta Harvey, who married Randolph Murdoch Sr. And she was the daughter of a prominent local physician, Dr. Joseph Brantley Harvey. And actually, her brother was a senator. And I believe his her brother's son also went into politics. So this is kind of the first um, kind of connection we have to politics, which the Murdochs seem that seemed to be a theme for them, right? Getting getting uh, tied to power right away, right? Marrying well, just marrying and yeah. making making moves as uh, you know in, in the marriage to help benefit the whole the whole family. Well, and the couple had two children: Randolph Buster Murdoch Jr. and John Glenn Murdoch. And she died on September fifteenth, nineteen eighteen, at the age of twenty nine. And this was just two weeks after she had given birth, and I believe she developed sepsis. Okay. Very sad. Mm -hmm. Randolph Sr. then married Estelle Marvin, who preceded him in death also after a long illness, and they did not have any children. Michael, why don't you tell us about how Randolph Sr. died? Yeah, it's important to note, and if you're not from this area and you haven't studied the the history as much as we do, when we say Randolph Sr., we're talking about the, the... very first attorney in the in the family, the one who founded the law firm in 1910 uh, in in Hampton, the one that became known as PMPED, and the man who uh, first ran for solicitor. So this is the very beginning. J.P. Putnam was the Civil War hero, and now his son Randolph Senior begins the legal and political dynasty. So <clears throat> Randolph would have a very brilliant but very short career, and he would die in the summer of 1940 in that uh, train automobile accident that we have talked about and, and written about. He had remarried. He was on his third wife, and um, we don't know much about her, but her name was Mary, according to the obituary and the lawsuit that followed. But that 
train crash uh, kind of launched a whole new element in the uh, in the Murdoch dynasty. They sued the Buster. His son Buster sued the railroad, and Mary and her children uh, and and the rest of the Murdochs benefited from that lawsuit. But it was a very short marriage. They only been married married two years before he died, and then she moved back to Florida. And I, I think her father was a senator as well. Is that right? Wow. Um, see, yeah, I believe so. The train crash was that killed him. Is that the one that's right near where Alec's mother and father lived? Not too far from it. It's in the direction of Yamasee. If you're leaving Barnville and going through our media, you go a little a little ways further. It's basically in the area of what we call Camp Branch or Early Branch now. It's between Almeda and, and Yamasee. Because there is a train crossing right like at the exit or entrance to their driveway that I noticed there. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that um okay. that crossing, but it wasn't very far away. We move on to Gladys Marvin Murdoch. Seaton. She was the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. William Horace Marvin, and she grew up at the Mackey Point Plantation near Yamasee. And I believe that is where they got married. Now, she was a graduate of Columbia College. Wow. And at the time was a prestigious all-female college. Um, and this is a, a theme with the Murdoch women, is they were educated at a time not many women were educated. College educated. Yes. Unless, yeah. And she married Buster Murdoch on June 24th, 1937. Now that's the first Buster <laughs> and the second solicitor, right? So you that is the second solicitor in their run of three solicitors that they would have that ran uh, that county from the solicitor's perspective. Now, Gladys was a well read member of the Hampton Barnville Book Club and an active member of the Barnville United Methodist Church, and she served as the treasurer of the United Methodist Women for more than 40 years, and also an accredited National Flower Show judge and charter member, and she was the vice president and later president of the Magnolia Garden Club of Barnville. Now, she died on June 10, 1997, uh, roughly a year before Buster died. And among her pallbearers were two circuit court judges. Very connected. Now, let's take a a little break here, talk about one of our sponsors who will support. And then we'll get to some of the other Murdoch women, including the case of the mysterious fake obituary that you may have heard about. We mentioned before the show started. And we're going to talk about Palmetto Pride Moonshine. The holiday season's coming up, so you can sip your way to the holiday season with Palmetto Distillery's collection of award-winning spirits all right guys we gotta try these all 12 moonshine flavors six sipping cream flavors a 21 percent rye whiskey and even ready to drink cocktails something for everyone on the list so you can do this as a, a great present i still say it's time for a michael Dwayne, seaton matt trip but nevertheless michael you're closer so i expect uh, this sent up to us you can share the love and spread some cheers this season. They're limited edition holiday samplers. Tell me more, Steve. Oh, I love it. They make a great gift. Uh, each set includes five top-selling Palmetto Moonshine flavors neatly bundled in a traditional candy cane case. Mm, a gift that looks as good as it tastes, yeah. Yep. Uh, search their online store locator to discover a liquor store near you or online at liquidblackjack.com. Michael, tell them about the limited time deal. I would be delighted to. And we're also going to post this on our Facebook page. Great. For a limited time, the Wicked South listeners can get a special 25% off online 
discount uh, from their online orders from palmettodistillery.com or liquidblackjack.com when you use this promo code, Holiday Cheers in all caps. Holiday Cheers. Use that promo code at checkout and get in the holiday spirit. Find your flavor and pass the jar. Palmettodistillery.com, liquidblackjack.com. Promo code Holiday Cheers. You can find it on the Wicked South Podcast Facebook page. Starting my holiday shopping early. Yeah, I'm right here. You can just hand it to me whenever you get it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And let's uh, get back to the show. And Libby Murdoch, uh, break that down for us, Michael. Her full name is Elizabeth Jones Alexander Murdoch, and she's better known as Libby. Uh, She married the third uh, uh, generation of the Randolph Murdoch trilogy. She married Randolph III on June 3rd, 1961. And just like Gladys and all these other generations, she came from a prominent family, one of the founding families of, of Hampton County, the Alexanders of Brunson. And these Murdochs had a history of marrying well and, and marrying into well-connected political or uh, wealthy families. And if you notice in her name, that Alexander name uh, was passed down. You have uh, Richard Alexander Murdoch, oh, you yeah. know, our, our famous double murderer. The uh, I don't know if this is a, just in my area of the South, or if it's a common thing, but these, these well-to-do families, uh, I call them these, these rich white folks, they, they're proud <laughs> of their family names and they'll, uh, I've seen some names, uh, over on, uh, the South side of the county. It'll, it'll have every family name they've ever married to be in <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, well, you want to make um, sure that if you're, if you're talking to somebody, that they know that you're connected. And if you don't know the Murdoch, then you go to the Alexander, then you go to the Smith or the Johnson or whatever. So yes, my name is Matt Harris, Johnson, Smith, Alexander, Murdoch. And maybe one of those, the person will know and be like, okay, you get to sit, uh, you get the first choice of the Waffle House to sit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've we do need to do a whole episode on uh, Southern names. Yeah. I think that could be an interesting one. That could be. <laughs> so uh, yeah, another well-educated Murdoch woman. Yes, she was an honor student in high school and a 1961 Columbia College honor graduate. And she earned almost every academic honor available. Uh, It's talk to my mother in law about this because she was at the University of South Carolina studying education at the same time. And so she had several connections. She knew people who knew her. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. But I also think, um, the Murdoch men were not scared to marry smart women. That that is true. They also, I mean, they were in love. But they also probably enjoyed the the added connection. And you know, the, the truth be told, if you are connected people, hang with connected people, so you're more likely to meet someone like that to to go on to get married. I don't know. You'd have to be connected to know that. You're true. Um, she was a member of the Alpha Kappa Gamma National Leadership Fraternity and the Alpha Psi Omega National Dramatics Fraternity. Uh, she was a three-year officer 
in the USC student government and was named to who's who in America colleges and university. Hmm. After she got married uh, and graduated, she raised three sons and a daughter uh, while teaching for 31 years. And, you know, that's interesting. She obviously probably did not have to work, but she continued to teach for 31 years. And she taught our own Michael DeWitt. If I can put two words together to form a sentence, I owe Libby Murdoch uh, a debt of gratitude for that. She was she was one of several who who did their best to teach me. So what what, what uh, grades did she teach? Was it middle school, grade school, high school? Was it? I don't remember the exact grade. Uh, it was probably more than one. Um, back then, middle school was grades five through eight, and she taught. Uh, okay. You know, it was English, it was uh, literature, grammar, um, kind of all rolled into one. Yeah, so she is that responsibility for she, you becoming the journalist that you are. Was she strict? I don't remember her being strict. Uh, the um, I d- don't remember her uh, being um, loud. She was just very, very calm and laid back and um, came to work with her glasses on a uh, little strap that you wear around your <laughs> neck. And she looked very much like the, the wife of a solicitor, but she was in the classroom dealing with a bunch of not-headed kids. And what, she, what was your grade? Do you remember? I did well in school until um, I hit high school. And then I discovered uh, women <laughs> and, and moonshine. And my grades suffered until <laughs> I went back to college late in life. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in I middle school, I, I was actually an A student. So, Oh, the glory days. He peaked in middle school. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> and, and she, when, she, uh, when uh, Libby Murdoch retired... She did a little political sort of career too, right, Michael? That's right. She was uh, she ran for the school board when she retired, and uh, the uh, served several years as chairman of the board. And that's kind of a, a pattern. We don't see that as much in the earlier generations, but she, uh, you know, very well connected on her own. Uh, had the inside track to the, you know, students, parents. Uh, teachers and then through political power and i did note that uh, the murdochs as a whole did not send their children to to private school with the exception of, of paul murdoch as uh, later in in the generation in the dynasty uh most of the murdochs went right to the public school in hampton county they kind of embedded themselves in the community and uh rubbed elbows with all the future voters and future jurors <laughs> now well, let's go to what started this episode when you were talking about the, the fake obituary, what was the story? All right. Uh, this is, you got to remember, this is 1976. So I guess I would have been about four years old, a um, little before my time. I wasn't exactly writing for the paper back then. Uh, but in those days, uh, before emails and fax machines, if you um, wanted to run an obituary in the state paper or the post and courier or whatever, the funeral home would call that newspaper and read the obits out over the phone and someone would type them up and they would appear in the newspaper, you know? And um, so when the state paper got a phone call about the, uh, the, the passing of Miss Murdoch, you, you know, it was nothing uncommon. They wrote it up and published it, but Libby Murdoch was very much alive. <laughs> and at that time she was home, uh, raising four young children. They were fairly close in age together in uh, a very well-to-do uh, a- neighborhood of Varnville called the Pines. So 
Um, this was before uh, before they moved to Alameda. Well, as soon as the obituary came out, can you imagine the uh, the chaos and the reaction in Hampton? Um, people are, uh, you know, phones are ringing off the hook at the Murdoch Law Firm, the school district, everybody, you know, Libby Murdoch's dead. Well, the next day, the state paper published a retraction and they declared the obit a hoax. She is alive and well, stated the correction, <laughs> adding that the newspaper would be contacting the state law enforcement division, SLED. And um, I think they've changed the name of this company since then. But back then, it was the Southern Bell Telephone Company. They were going to contact SLED and the phone company to investigate and trace the identity of the perpetrator of this hoax. Mm-hmm. So did they investigate and did they figure out what happened? <clears throat> All right. Before we get into the the theories and the the rumors, um, this is this is straight facts here. Um, uh, uh, we'll let you know when we de- deviate from facts uh, okay. whenever possible. But um, in the research in the fall of the House of Murdoch, I, I contacted the funeral home. And uh, it, nowadays it's called People's Roden. Back then it was the People's Holland Funeral Home in Hampton. And uh, Gordon Roden was... Uh, he worked at the funeral home at that time. He was the funeral home director, and he would later become co-owner of the business, and it would become People's Roden. And he would run for public office, and he was a, a longtime coroner for Hampton County. He was coroner here for like 30, 32 years, something like that. But I interviewed him last year, and he said it was a very strange thing. He said, obviously, the phone call did not come from the, the People's Holland Funeral Home. They checked around. They talked to SLED. They don't know who did it, how it happened, or why it happened. Um, and they never really got a firm answer. They said that SLED investigated, and um, even police still don't know why it happened or who sent it to the paper. Or if they do know, uh, they're not, they, didn't, they never published it. Right. They never said anything. And uh, Roden did confirm what we all know that there were. A lot of rumors going around the community about who did it and uh, and why, but uh, the the retired coroner didn't want to comment on that. Mm-hmm. And this is the before the times of caller ID and phone records, star where 69s. you could go star sixty nines, where you could go back and try to figure out exactly who who did this. Right. So it's just now, you know, as long as the uh, this tight circle keeps tight and doesn't tell, could have been one of her students. They want it off the next day. <laughs> Could have been a future writer of the half all the house of uh, Murdoch. No, <laughs> he was only four at the time. That's yeah, right. Hey, he was only four. You, you got a pop test. You'll do you. You know, you'll do anything if you're desperate and you haven't studied for a test. That's true. Pop quiz coming up. Uh, so, the Murdoch family have they ever publicly said what happened that you know of? Well, they they have never publicly commented, and there are three uh, basic. Um, well, there's several uh, rumors and, and, and stories going around. Um, one one common uh, theory is that uh, somebody was mad at the solicitor, which would be um, at the time the solicitor was Buster and his son, uh, Randolph III, was the assistant solicitor. And, you know, some people thought that uh, they were looking to embarrass, harass or threaten the solicitor's office. And um, this was some kind of malicious activity to get back at the, the Murdoch's. Um, but the town gossips have uh, have said a, a lot more interesting things. Uh, now, Seton, um, do you uh, want to tell us a story? As was it Netflix when Morgan Dowdy told uh, the story the way she heard it from Maggie, or am I thinking yeah. about a different TV show? 
Yes, Morgan Dowdy on the Netflix special. She was the former girlfriend of Paul Murdoch and good friend to Mallory Beach. And she was also a passenger on the boat the night that Mallory Beach was killed. She tells the story on the Netflix special that Maggie tells her this obituary story. And when Maggie tells her the story, she says, well, Randolph was mad at Libby and put this obituary in the paper as a warning. And the implication was that Maggie was telling Morgan that this is the type of family you may be marrying into. Now, that is not the story that we heard two years ago or whatever it was when we started doing the podcast, right? So there's another story out there. Michael, you have a more likely, more interesting version of the story. Well, it's certainly more interesting, and uh, and I do believe it's more likely. And now let's keep uh, reminding the listeners that these are not known facts. That nope. Very few people know exactly what happened, who did it, and why. So all we're doing is, uh, I, as journalists, we try to avoid rumor unless rumor becomes part of the story so so deeply that you have to um, mention it, you have to include it. So keep in mind, these are all just, just rumors and stories and, and theories. So um, having said that, I find that version of the story unlikely because, you know, these people are people in power and prominence, and this would cause a a scandal, a controversy. Why would uh, assistant solicitor Murdoch do something to publicly embarrass his family? That wouldn't just be embarrassing his, uh, you know, threatening his wife, but it would be embarrassing his whole family and people would be asking questions. And it's highly unlikely if he wanted to send a message to his wife, I think there were more discreet ways he could have done it Mm -hmm. without doing that. Yeah, I agree. I just don't see it likely that he would want to, like you said, embarrass his family And from what I've read, they didn't really want to be in the paper for anything like this. They might want to be in paper for winning a case or that sort of thing, but they kind of, I don't know. Image was everything. Image was important. Yes. Now that we say that that may not have happened the way that it was recalled, what is your theory on what happened? Let's keep in mind that that rumors, uh, you know, rumors change when they go from person to person. But they when you go from decade to decade, uh, you know, uh, rumors can change over time. So I would think that a source uh, closer to that time period would be more accurate than a passed down story from Maggie to some uh, 20 year old uh, girlfriend of Paul's. So I interviewed a couple of people of the older generation. Um, that were they were closer to the Murdoch family and, and and knew them knew the older generations better than than I did, and I didn't include all of this in the in the book, but there was some there were some stories about Randolph the Third uh, being possibly involved with other women, and I, I didn't go into that in, in print, but the way this story was told to me is quite interesting, and as we say, we don't know if it's any truth to it or not. Gladys Murdoch, who's Buster's wife, Randolph the Third, uh, the mother of Randolph the Third, and every year for Christmas, uh, the law firm gave her a new Cadillac. That was part of her. Um, I think they were using one of her buildings that she owned, and as part of the payment and as a gift to Buster's wife, she got a new Cadillac for Christmas. Well, 
the word on the street was Randolph was spending a lot of time in Hilton Head. You know, there's a story well documented in the in the newspapers about him being there on opening night of a strip club. And uh, let's just be polite and say he was spending a lot of time away from home. He was probably making some new friends. And um, he, I, I'm sorry, I'm Southern. I'm old fashioned. I, I don't like to speak ill of the dead if I can't prove it. But so he's making some new friends and uh, some of them may or may not work at the Gold Club on Hilton Head Island. And his wife is home. Uh, she's a very intelligent, accomplished woman. She's a teacher. She is home alone, raising four young children. And handsome is nowhere to be found, you know, AWOL for several days. And uh, Gladys jumps in, uh, which is Randolph's mother, jumps in her new Cadillac and takes a ride to Hilton Head. And when this obit thing happened, this was basically the 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 act of a, of a desperate woman about to have a nervous breakdown, according to the story. Her husband was, was AWOL, so she runs this obituary in the paper kind of as a way to get attention and maybe threaten her own death, threaten her own suicide or whatever. So when the obit comes out, Gladys jumps in her new Cadillac and she takes a ride to Hilton Head and she grabs a handsome by the collar and says, hey, buddy. Uh, you're coming home and you're coming home now. And, um, you know, you got a wife and young kids and, you know, you're embarrassing uh, your whole family. You just need to come on back to Hampton uh, County. And um, the way I heard it, he he may not have quit his wild ways, but he never left home again. And that's <laughs> kind of the, the way I heard the story from older generations in Hampton County. And um, I love the fact that uh, the mama hen, Gladys, jumps in the car and and uh, jerks. We call it a jerk and knot in your ass. He kind of jerk and knot in his ass. And, um, and I love that part of the story. I don't like the, the allegations that maybe he was making new friends, but I like the part where mama saves the day. So oh, very nice. Very nice. And, you know, and never too old for your mom to come and whip, <laughs> whip, whip it. <laughs> I, 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 I can't imagine my mom dragging me out of a strip club. <laughs> she sounds like she's kind of a, a, a bad, you know, what? Badass. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and to be fair, um, the the Morgan recollection could have been true, as in Maggie told her that story. doesn't mean Maggie believed that story, but Maggie, it's possible she was saying, hey, you know, I want to warn you that this family is powerful and they could do some things. It doesn't necessarily mean the story was true, but Morgan's version could be true. So I don't want to test versions at her on that, but uh, there you go. That is a crazy story. Now we move on to Alec's wife, Alec Murdoch's wife, who is the late Maggie Murdoch, and Seton. Begin that story. So, Margaret Kennedy Brandsetter of Somerville uh, met Alec Murdoch while she was a student at the University of South Carolina. She was a sorority girl and member of Kappa Delta, and I was as well. So Were you really? Yeah, I was. Um, who stayed in touch with her sorority sisters for years after she graduated in 1991. They were married on August 14, 1993 at the Second Presbyterian Church in Charleston while Alec was still a law school student at the University of South Carolina. After their honeymoon in Jamaica, the new couple remained in Columbia while he finished law school. Now, I've heard this, Michael, and I wanted to ask you about this, was that Maggie was not happy about the prospect of moving back to Hampton. Had you heard that? I did. I think from the very beginning, um, she didn't really want to move to Hampton. And 
as events happened with the boat crash, I think the Edisto Beach House became her favorite place to go to be closer to the coast and and the bigger areas and, and away from Hampton. Do you know what Maggie's major was? Because it does seem to me like it might be more difficult to find a job in Hampton being a small place as, for example, Columbia or Charleston or something along those lines. I didn't research her um, college career that deeply. I didn't see anything remarkable academic-wise, not to disparage her. she Let's just say she did not have a whole lot in common with the more accomplished uh, Libby or Gladys as far as education or career-wise. She was a totally different type of, of Murdoch wife. I think she differed from all of them in a lot of ways. And we know that they had the Edison Beach House you mentioned. What was the Murdoch Island? Murdoch Island is uh, actually... Uh, um, more like a peninsula in uh, in Beaufort uh, County or, well, um, Chichessie, so maybe in, in the area where Jasper County borders Beaufort, so maybe in Jasper County. The Edisto home has been in the Murdoch family for quite some time. There were, there were articles in the old Guardians about Buster and Gladys going to Edisto, so that, that family home has been around for a while, but I think Murdoch Island was fairly new. I think that they purchased it, um, you know, later. Either Buster purchased it late in life or, or Randolph purchased the, the property. And that was on the river. And is that where they took off the night of the fatal boat crash? That's right. That's where they they left there and went to the uh, oyster roast uh, mm-hmm. on Palky Island. And then from there to the waterfront area on Bay Street in Beaufort, Luther's, where they had more drinks. And mm-hmm. um, But that was the, the launching point of the boat. So you have said Maggie didn't really ever have uh, a big career other than a brief uh, experiment with a high-end clothing store in Hampton. She preferred the cozy life of a lawyer's wife. Uh, she'd spend her days shopping and vacationing, remodeling, and playing hostess. Uh, hearing the testimony at Alec Murdoch's murder trial, it really didn't seem like she had many friends. We didn't hear much about her. We heard from Paul's friends who described her as loving and that sort of thing. But we really have not, through the course of this whole thing, had many of her friends come out and speak about her personally. We have really tried on impact. To me, it seemed like Blanca, the housekeeper, was the person who knew her best. Her sister was on the stand eventually, but that was the stand. There hasn't been any as far as I know, a major public interview or discussion about Maggie. Do you agree with me on that? And we're not that much. I really tried to find someone. I really did. I mean, I thought, you know, we had the Katie connection, multiple people who would potentially know her. I really could not find anybody. And the only real news piece that we heard about her was in the Post and Courier when John Marvin's wife, spoke about her and I guess they were fairly close and mm-hmm. uh that Maggie liked to make preserves or that sort of thing. But there just have not we haven't heard anything other than family members and this housekeeper to really kind of put a face to Maggie Murdoch. And not Maggie's immediate family. The only the sisters spoke on the stand, but there hasn't been, as far as I know, any public statement or article or interviews with her side of the family. Is is, is that right, Michael? Doing my research and and knowing the family and talking to people, most people in in the Hampton County area didn't really, uh, weren't close to her. Some of them didn't care for her. 
she had a very small social circle, and but it was a very tight and loyal circle. Um, you know, the family did things together. They went on vacations to uh, in Florida together. They all went to Murdoch Island or, or Edisto. And then she had three or four uh, girlfriends, lady friends, and um, they were all very loyal, uh, loved her. I did a story when it was uh, a year after, it was Maggie's birthday, a year later. So it would have been her birthday that following year after she was murdered. And I interviewed one of her friends and she agreed to talk to me and even provide pictures as long as we didn't use them for any of the the, the trial coverage or the murder coverage, as long as we were just talking about how wonderful uh, she thought Maggie was. She allowed me to use her comments and her pictures. Um, but, you know, the people that knew her closely loved her and they said she was a wonderful woman. But they but like I said, it was a very small, maybe four, five, six uh, tight little families. And uh, that's all I found. And unfortunately, murdered and died very young. And she was not the only Murdoch woman that died early. As you know, Etta and Estelle Murdoch also died prematurely, but they weren't murdered like Maggie was, unfortunately. And that uh, kind of puts a wrap on it, but we've got some comments that we want to talk about. Uh, this is off of Apple Podcast. Yes, we have a rating that says, I love this podcast, but I had trouble getting through this one because of the description of the possum and the mule was too gross for a second listen. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> which which uh, which which episode was that? We have to, to tell people if they want to hear the possum story. I think it was the bootleggers, uh, one of those, right? I'm squeamish and I got through it. It was episode 12, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't remember the title. But episode 12 is also one that uh, you had somebody who commented on, Michael, right? That's right. One of our sponsors, um, uh, Dr. Kenny Kinsey, we all came to know him and, and love him during the trial. He has um, started his own business, and he's one of our sponsors. Well, he sent me a text message. His wife, he and his wife were uh, going on vacation in the mountains, so he took the opportunity to listen to our podcast while they were driving, and he said that they laughed for several miles when they got to episode 12. And um, his wife didn't believe that a possum would, you know, go inside an animal and all that kind of weird, gross stuff. And uh, he said, but he, I told her, he said, I've seen it happen. And, uh, what? and um, yeah, and he's from the country. He's a good old country boy up in Orangeburg County. And uh, he said he, he's seen it. And wow. he even told me some possum stories of his own, but he didn't give me permission to share them. But, um <laughs> Well, yeah, I do have a but, possum story. Oh, Seton's got a possum story. <laughs> Since this episode, twice it's happened now that I've woken up in the middle of the night, I've looked outside, and there is a, a possum eating my dog's dog food. And I'm <laughs> thinking oh. it's the ghost of the possum. <laughs> it is the ghost of the possum. <laughs> might crawl up your dog's butt if you're not careful. I know. <laughs> your dog is well, elderly, after all. <laughs> yeah. I talked to Dr. Kinsey uh, 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 quite a good bit. He's... Um, uh, by text or by phone. And um, since we, I hope we're going to have him on the show here one day soon, just to chat about different stuff. And, but since we were sharing kind of embarrassing stories about the Murdoch family, I just want the listeners to know um, that I'm not too good to, to share uh, embarrassing stories about myself or my own family. And when I covered the Murdoch case, six weeks in Walterburg, you know, I'm by nature a shy, quiet person. I don't, I didn't go up to most of these people <laughs> and introduce myself and, and talk to them. I don't generally like lawyers and, um, <laughs> you know, there were a lot of out of town, uh, journalists and, 
uh, if they came up to me, I talked to them, but I didn't just walk up to to Harpootlin and Griffin. They weren't, you know, particularly nice guys to start with. So I, I kind of <laughs> stayed to myself. Um, but when Dr. Kenny Kinsey got on the stand, I just felt a connection with this guy. So I walked up to him and introduced myself and said, I'm the editor of the Hampton paper. And I just thought that you did such a great job on the stand and that people could relate to you. You were entertaining. I could tell that you were a teacher as well as a, um, a police officer. And I, you know, I liked that about you. And he said, so you're from Hampton. He said, my mother used to be a police officer in Hampton. I said, oh yeah, it's a, it's a small world. Who was your mother? He said, uh, my mother was Lieutenant Mary Witt. And anybody that knows me, my wife will tell you, I'm an honest person. I probably share too much. Um, but I couldn't help but tell him, I said, well, your mother arrested me uh, uh, many years ago. Uh, I've only been arrested twice in my life. Uh, in my younger days, it took only one night in jail for me to to realize I wanted to be a uh, a journalist and a writer and, and not a criminal. And, <laughs> um, so I turned my whole life around, uh, went back to school, got my education and I owe it in large part to your mother, uh, arresting me. And, um, he thought that was the greatest thing in the world. He said, brother, he said, he, he gave me his phone number right then and there. He said, give me your number. He said, I got to talk to you more about her. I got, we got to stay in touch. And we became friends. <laughs> his, Mother caught me. Uh, there was some moonshine involved, and I was I was going to see a girl, and I shouldn't have been uh uh in town. I should have stayed out in the country. But it, you know, I'll I'll save the details for whenever we have him on the on the show. But right. um, but yeah, Doctor Kenny Kinsey, his mother uh, <laughs> threw the cuffs on me, and she's re- the reason I'm no longer a, a hardened criminal. <laughs> Great story. Doesn't sound like it. you were ever a hardened criminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he was on his way though. He was on his way, but she straightened him out. This is great. Really appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, let's give a quick shout to our sponsors before we take off. Michael, we hope that you'll support them because without them, we could keep doing what we're doing. Michael, give us the sponsors. We have Dr. Kenny Kinsey and Associates. Rotten Little Bastard Distillery right there in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're going to be putting a lot of information on our Facebook page about them, and we're going to be sharing information about Palmetto Pride Distillery and Palmetto Pride Moonshine on our Facebook page as well. And don't forget that promo code, Holiday Cheers. And you can find out more, the Wicked South Podcast, Michael DeWitt on his socials. We're always grateful, and make sure you share the episode, rate it. That really helps us out, too. And... Make a comment, that'd be appreciative as well. And we will talk soon, friend.